So we're, we're still talking about family matters, but I don't want you to get thrown off by, by the fact that, that we're calling it family matters. It's really not talking about just people who are married or just people who have children. It's talking about people who are human and people who have interaction with other people. And today we're going to be talking about, um, about a topic that I think is really, really ubiquitous within our culture. It's, you hear about it all the time. I've been saying, uh, talking last week a little bit about that our homes should be a place of safety. Not only should our homes be a place of safety physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. We covered the topic of, of um, spiritual warfare and doing spiritual warfare in our homes and not denying that. Remember, the two things that Satan wants you to believe. Number one is what? that he does not exist. And if he can't get you to believe that, he'll get you to believe number two, which is he's all powerful. Those are both lies. Satan does exist. He does have demons. The Bible makes a case for this and we need to be aware of those. And so we'll talk about this a little bit today again, um, but but we're going to really cover today the topic of, of encouragement and the topic of depression. And you know, there's how many commercials on depression, you know, that you're always hearing about depression. And um, I I hope that today's message is going to be a hopeful one for you. I'm going to make a a case of, you know, what the Bible has to say about it. And actually, the Bible has a lot to say about it. I'm going to be talking about the poster child for depression, also known as Elijah. He's kind of always the guy that everybody looks to as the, the depressed guy. Or Jeremiah, also him. There's a lot of them, but um, I'll just, we're going to keep it real today, okay? You guys, you guys okay to keep it real? Um, I have to say that I got really thrown off this week. Uh, September is Suicide Awareness Month, and, you know, there are very few people whose lives haven't been somehow impacted by suicide, and I actually got an email from the governor asking that we, that we keep this kind of on the forefront as spiritual people um, and, and that, we, that we're aware of it. You know, uh, suicide is rampant in our state. It is the number one leading cause of death in teens between, I think it's the ages of 12 and 18. It's the number one leading cause of death. And um, I, I'm, I don't know if any of you saw this but on Facebook, there's a, there's a link that's been going around of a young man who uh, was the son of a, of a mega church pastor. They, his parents had planted a church down in Chino Hills in California, Southern California. And it grew, and it was a really big, thriving church. And then the pastor was diagnosed with cancer. So they walked through that. I think it was a five-year process. And in the midst of that process the pastor's son was taking over the leadership of the church. So when his father passed away, he was the senior pastor. And um, so he was in the midst of, of not only grieving his dad, but I'm sure that, you know, anytime there's a leadership change, there's always a lot of upheaval. And I think he just, he just was really struggling. And um, he had a breakdown last Easter, the, the Sunday after Easter, or the Thursday after Easter, and had to um, go on a sabbatical. And he came back to the church and kind of shared, you know, what he, what he had been going through. And then uh, two weeks later, he took his own life. And this is his cute 
little wife and his little little boys. And I have to say, this really hit me hard um, for a number of reasons. I'm thinking about his mother. She's a widow, and now her son has taken his life, and um, and what this church is going to go through. And it it just really impacted me, and um, it was really hard on me this week. And and it just made me really aware that you never know what is going on in someone else's heart and in their mind and in their life. And so my my prayer and my hope for today is that I can bring the word of the Lord and bring a message of hope to you. If you're thinking about ending your life, um, I've talked to people who have struggled with this and I, I hear consistently they say, you know what, I just I just thought that that if I was gone, it would be easier on everyone else. That is the furthest from the truth. There is so much aftermath. And for those of you who have been um, close to someone who has taken their own life, you know that, that it doesn't solve the problem. And so if that is something that you're thinking of, please don't. Please don't. It's, it's not the solution. It's not the answer. And um, there's a proverb. It says, Proverbs 15, 13, it says, A happy heart makes a face cheerful. But heartache crushes the spirit. I'm going to read that again. A happy heart makes a face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. And uh, I read about a young man who was thinking about taking his life. And he said to himself, "If I'm," he, he lived in San Francisco, and he was walking up to the Golden Gate Bridge, and he said, if one person greets me, if one person even so much as smiles at me, I'm not going to take my life. And he walked up there and everyone was so busy in their own little world, they all just kind of ignored him. And so he ended up attempting suicide. Fortunately, he survived. But the thing that he said was, the thing that anybody who has, has survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, this is the common statement that they always say, the second I jumped off, I felt instantaneous regret. Immediately. I felt regret. And so now, um, you know, he, he survived and he's talking about it. But I want to just say, I, I, think, I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've softened in a lot of my views on certain things. And I, I think, you know, there, there is an attitude in the body of Christ today that says that if you're depressed, there must be sin in your life. Or that depression itself is a sin. I just want to just want to dispel that. There are so many people throughout the Bible who have struggled with depression. And so today, I want you to understand that that God does get it. He understands. And that depression itself is not a sin. Now, depression can lead to sinful behavior, depending on how you respond to things. But it depression in and of itself is part of our human experience. You know, for everything, there's a season and a time for everything under the sun. A time to rejoice and a time to refrain from rejoicing. You know, a time to weep and a time to mourn. I mean, the Bible makes a really good case for this. And so if you're struggling under the, that lie that says that, that if, you're, if you're struggling with depression, that you're in sin, please be released from that. Depression is a real thing, but God ultimately does have the answer for depression. Um, one of the greatest theologians who ever lived is Charles 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he used to have to take two to three months a year to just get away on a sabbatical because he was so severely depressed. And here's a quote from him. I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you, he's talking to his congregation, none of you get to extremes of wretchedness as I go through. Every mental and spiritual labor had to be carried on under protest of spirit. Now, this is one of the greatest theologians. This is a godly man, a spiritual man, and he was seriously depressed. I met together a couple of weeks back with the the youth leaders and the young adults leaders, and we were talking about what we believe that that young people of today, what, what their biggest needs are, their deepest needs. And ultimately, we came down to, to what is the human condition. We want two questions answered. Who am I? And how do I fit in? What is my place in this world? Ultimately, the, these are the two questions. And if you think about it, te- the teenagers of today have grown up under social media, essentially. And social media has been foisted upon them. They are the victims of social media. Social media can be an amazing and a wonderful thing, but one of the biggest problems with it, with Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and whatever, is that people go on there and they post this image of themselves that is not even true. You know, they they post like, my life is so magnificent and yours sucks. You know, because that's kind of the message that that we're getting, isn't it? Is my life is so terrible. Everybody else is so happy and I am so miserable. That's a lie. That is not the truth. And, And our children are victims of this and victims of this lie. Did you know that there is now a medical condition, psychological, I guess, condition called selfie dysmorphia? No, I know it sounds hilarious. It sounds ridiculous. But where people because of all the filters and everything that they put on themselves, they will take a selfie of themselves through one of these filters and they will go to a plastic surgeon to have themselves uh, surgically altered to look like the selfie that they wish that they were. This is an actual thing. This is an actual thing. And the, it, some, some people call it Snapchat dysmorphia but where they take these pictures of themselves and they look a certain way and they set it up in their mind that that's how they want to look. The guy on the screen here, his name is Danny Bowman. He was addicted to taking selfies at the age of 15. He took over 200 selfies of himself every single day. When he would go to school, he would leave his class um, two to three times every hour to go try to capture that perfect selfie. I mean, he became obsessed with taking pictures of himself, so much so that he lost 30 pounds. And ultimately, when he was 19, he attempted suicide unsuccessfully. But now he's a spokesman to talk about this and to talk about the dangers of kind of what social media has done to not only young people. I mean, it's anybody. It's like you go on social media and and you compare yourself. And the Bible says... Don't compare yourselves with others. It, it, it's not wise. It's just don't compare yourself. Just be, be you. But you know, in the Bible, there, obviously they didn't take selfies. <laughs> and um, you know, they didn't struggle with all the social media and whatnot, but they did struggle with depression. 
and they struggled with self-image and they struggled with insecurities. They're, they're like us. Actually, the Bible says in the New Testament, it says that the, the examples of the Old Testament are there for us so that we can learn from them. But some examples in the Bible of people who struggled with depression, Moses, Mo, Moses struggled with depression. Saul, King Saul, that guy was, I mean, he probably was clinically, you know, manic depressive or something. That guy was, he struggled with depression. And he had some, some demonic spiritual intervention going on there too. Um, Jonah, remember the story of Jonah? He was depressed and he was actually kind of depressed because, well, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, but then ultimately he ended up eventually after the whole whale thing, he ended up um, going to Nineveh and he was depressed because all the people there became believers. <laughs> he was bummed out about that because he hated them so much he wanted them to go to hell. So he was depressed. <laughs> Clearly he had other mental issues going on too. Also, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy was depressed. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, I despaired even of life. You know, you ever have those days where you just, you just feel like, oh man, I just, it's just not worth it. I'm so, I mean, it, it, it's a reality, even, even Paul. Some symptoms of depression are low energy, difficulty sleeping, or excessive sleeping. And 20% of the people, they sleep excessively. Difficulty concentrating, Withdrawal from social activities or for the married folks from sexual activity, loss of appetite, actual physical pain. You know, you hear on these commercials, they're like, depression hurts. There is an actual physical pain, emotional sadness, obviously, despairing, no hope, irritability, low emotional tolerance. You can't handle any kind of emotional outbursts or... Um, Withdrawal from other people, no mental peace, low self-worth, pessimism, self-destructive thoughts, and ultimately suicidal ideations. These are the, some of the symptoms of depression. I don't know that I've ever actually been depressed. Um, you know, one of my biggest fears after my husband passed away was that that I was going to cross over that line from mourning to depression and, and trying to kind of navigate that and figure it out. And, and I, I'm no expert. I, I'm going to tell you some things I think are just from my studies uh, are, are my opinion. I'm not necessarily saying, thus saith the Lord. You could disagree with me on certain, certain issues. But like I said, I, I just know that this is a real subject that real people struggle with, even strong believers. And I think there are three causes, three major causes for depression. I do think that there, there are physical causes. I believe that there can be chemical imbalances in people. And you know, it's funny because we, we will talk about sickness, cancer, uh, all kinds of physical maladies and we don't have a problem with people going to the doctor. As a matter of fact, most people are encouraged, hey, you should go see a doctor about that, whatever, random bloody nose or something. I don't know. You know, you, you tell people, go to the doctor. You should have that looked at, right? But when it comes to mental health, we don't do the same thing. We just 
oh, well, it must be sin, or maybe it's, it's demonic, or maybe, and, and maybe there's, a, there's an imbalance. Maybe it can be taken care of with some temporary medication or something. And now I know I might be stepping on some toes. I know some people will strongly disagree with me, and that is fine. But I've just seen it enough times where if someone just cannot pull themselves out after, after months and maybe even years, um, I think that other physical things can lead to depression, lack of sleep, clearly, um, abuse of drugs or alcohol, I mean, I remember I, I, um, after I would use cocaine, I can remember just this horrendous crash. And that's why people become addicted to cocaine. Because you get this high and you're up here and then you crash. And that can lead to a, a depression. Um, you know, all kinds of physical things can lead to a sense of, or to a depression. And for some people, it's if it's been going on for years and years and years and years and years, they may need to to get medical intervention. Um, I think some things are just circumstantial: a loss, loss of a job, loss of a child, loss of a spouse, loss of a friendship, loss of your hopes and dreams. All of these things they're circumstantial, and I I believe that they can lead to a a sense of depression, a sense of hopelessness. Um, like Job, for example, he's always, the, he's always the poster boy for trials, right? He went through some stuff. And listen to what Job said. He said, I can't even eat for sighing. He says, my groans pour out like water. My life flies by day after hopeless day. I hate my life. My heart is broken. Depression haunts my days. My weary nights are filled with pain. I cry to you, O oh God, but you don't answer me. Wow, let's, let's psychoanalyze Job here. What do you think, he's depressed? Yeah, clearly, Job is depressed. But here's the hope. This is the coolest thing. It says here in um, Job chapter 1, verse 22, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin. He was just stating a fact. <laughs> you know, he's not complaining here. He's not feeling sorry for himself. I mean, I think he struggled with that at times, going through his trial. But it says he didn't sin. He was considered a righteous man in the eyes of the Lord. And he went through this depression. And we can have circumstances. I mean, I met a couple a couple of we- uh, last week who lost their home through fire. And I just asked them. I was just so curious about that. I said, what was that like? Did you have to go through like a process of grieving? And they said, oh, yeah, it was, it was so hard. I mean, it's just the reality. Circumstances can hit us. We can lose a job or a relationship or, or even a, a death of a loved one. And it can cause us to, to tank. But again, it's not that the circumstances or that we respond this way is sinful, but, but, the, but the things that we choose, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. I think one of the third, okay, so physical, there can be physical, circumstantial, and thirdly, I believe there can be a spiritual cause for depression. I do believe there can be some demonic intervention. Um, do you guys know who Martin Luther is? You guys heard of the Lutheran church? I was, <laughs> Germans in the house, shout out to Marty. Um, I was raised Lutheran, and I love the hymns. 
And there's one in particular called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I want you to check this out. Okay, so we just sang this song called The Great I Am. And it's talking about the demons have to flee in God's presence. At the mere mention of his name, the king of majesty. Listen to this. Verse 3 of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This is amazing. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Isn't that awesome? Oh my gosh, I read that. I was like, oh yeah, Martin's not scared. Woo, I love that. But it's so true. I think, again, one of the things that the devil, the, the lie number two, he wants us to think he's in charge of everything and that he can hurt us and that he can damage us. He can ruin us. But when we are in Christ, we can reject those lies. As we submit to God, we resist the devil. It says, and he has to flee from us. We submit to God first and foremost. You can't just resist the devil on your own strength. That's not, he'll just laugh at you. It's like there's a story in the book of Acts. They're like, they're, you know, these people see, see the apostles are casting these demons out. They're like, hey, I want to do that. So they try to do it. And the demons are like, okay, we don't, we recognize Paul. We recognize the other guys, but who are you? We do not know who you are. You have to do it in the power and the authority of God. You cannot fight a spiritual battle with your flesh, nor can you fight a spiritual battle without the Holy Spirit. So keep this in mind as you're, you know, praying through your house or praying, you know, it, again, like I said last week, if you have that, that little thought that's in your mind, you're like, I just feel off today, or I just, something's just, I don't feel like myself. Just be open to the fact that it might be something outside of you where the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and rulers and powers in the darkness. We wrestle against spirits, spirits of demonic uh, forces do actually visit North America. I know we always think, oh, that's, that's just in Africa, right? Or that's just in some third world country. That's in, you know, Czechoslovakia or something. That's not a third world country. But, you know, we don't believe that demons can affect us. Yeah, they can. Paul said so. Ephesians, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And it says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They are for the pulling down of strongholds. So we're, we won't get off on that again, but... Um, last week I did talk about that a little more, but God is the great I am. He is the great one. I remember the first time we sang that song, um, the last one that we just sang. Um, I was over at the keyboard and at the rehearsal in the morning before service, these two guys walked in. And immediately when they walked in, it was like all the hair stood up on my arms. It was like, oh, there's something so demonic. Do you remember that, Pete? These two guys walked in with these long, flowing robes and these big, huge beards. I'm not saying beards are demonic. Um, but, and one of them had like the shepherd's staff. And they walked in and they were sitting right, right back there. 
And uh, I just remember, it w- they were scary. They were so scary. And we started doing that song, the mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee at the mention of the name King of Majesty. There is no power in hell, nor any who can stand within the power of the presence of the great I am. I know I messed those lyrics up, but you know what I'm saying? We started singing that song and those guys scattered. Tail between their legs. Go Take your staff and your robes. But they were here for a, a, a demonic purpose. They were here. And Ira, I think Ira had gone up to them and said, hey, if you think that you're going to thwart what God is doing here today, you're mistaken. And then as soon as we sang that song, they bolted. It was awesome. It was awesome. We do not have to fear the, dark, the darkness. We don't have to fear spiritual things. We do have to be aware of them. The Bible says, don't be unaware. Don't be unwise. Be aware that these things can impact you. Okay, so um, we're going to talk today about, again, like I said, the poster child. His name is Elijah. He was a great prophet of God. Um, but he, he fell into a time of depression. And we're going to talk about that. It's, it's actually found in 1 Kings 19. I'm going to set this up a little bit. Okay, so Elijah's a prophet. He's been hiding from King Ahab and Jezebel, his darling wife, who were evil. They were evil, evil, evil. They hated Elijah. Because Elijah actually said that he, he prayed that it would not rain. And Elijah, which I think is so cool, it says in James, it says Elijah is a man just like us. How many of you have ever prayed that it would stop raining or that it would start raining? And it did. We're, Elijah was just like us. And Elijah was just like us in the fact that he fell into a depression. But we'll get to that later. So, Elijah's this prophet. He's hiding from Ahab and Jezebel. And finally, he's like, okay, I'm going to go present myself to the king. And so he goes and he challenges him. He says, hey, we're going to find out who the true and living God is. Why don't you bring your best prophets for the, for the God Baal? Some people say Baal. Some people say Baal. Okay, Bring, bring your prophets, and we're going to do this fire challenge, okay? On one side, we're going to have you guys call down fire from your God, okay? And on the other side, we're gonna ha- I'm going to call down fire from my God. Whichever place starts on fire, that's the true God. So here are these prophets of Baal. They're dancing around, cutting themselves. See, that's not a new thing. Teenagers, it's not a new thing, cutting It's a demonic thing. So anyway, they're dancing around, calling down, "Ah, send fire, send fire. And Elijah, I don't know, you you can make your own judgment on this, but Elijah, he's kind of standing back. Some people think he was a little arrogant. Some people think he was just calling a spade a spade. But he's kind of standing back and he's like, so what's up with your God? I mean, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to yell louder. And so they start yelling louder. And he's like, huh, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on the toilet. Who knows? We don't know what's up with your God. But he's clearly not coming through for you here. So then, Elijah's turn. Elijah's like, I just, gosh, it would have been so fun to watch this. I wish they would have put this on YouTube. So he's, 
douse it. Put a bunch of water on there. It's going to be awesome. Just douse it. I don't know about you. I tend to be a little bit of a pyromaniac. I, I love fire. I love building campfires. I love my fire pit. I love candles. And, um, but how many of you know, if there's even a hint of water, there's no starting that fire, right? You have to dry it out and you have to you know, do all these things. You cannot start a fire if something is doused with water. They were dumping buckets of water on this fire and <clears throat> proof. That God is the living God. And Elijah's like, yes. (laughs) Now, get the state of mind. Think about how he must have been feeling. And then he had every one of those prophets destroyed. Had them all killed. They were evil. He is on top of the world. This is like, won the spiritual lottery. You know, he is having such a great time. The very next chapter, it says, Ahab, who is the consummate henpecked husband, Ahab went and tattled to Jezebel about what happened with Elijah. And Jezebel was ticked. And she goes, you know what? Send this message to Elijah. Dude, you are dead. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make sure the sun is not going to come up on you tomorrow. So instead of Elijah going, who is this woman? I have the God of heaven's armies on my side. I just felled 450 prophets, false prophets. God just demonstrated that he's with me, that he's for me. And instead of that, Elijah runs away. He runs He leaves his servant and he runs and he gets super depressed and he's laying there and he's like, he goes, God, I just don't even want to live anymore. Just take my life. Think about the contrast from this day to the, I don't know how soon after. Here he is. He's like, I don't even want to live anymore. What? What happened? How did this happen? And it says, that he was so exhausted that he fell asleep, okay? And then it says, suddenly an angel, angel. Remember, angels are really real. In Hebrews, it says, angels are ministering spirits that have come to attend to the believer. Isn't that so sweet? God sent this angel. It says, the angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. And suddenly God had provided this meal for Elijah. It's probably like a big old juicy cheeseburger or something (laughs) and then he so so he gets up and he eats it and then he goes back to sleep and then the angel of God came back shook him awake again said get up and eat some more you've got a long journey ahead of you so Elijah got up he ate and drank his fill and he set up but here's the thing then God said to him what are you doing here and I don't think it was like God rebuking him and going you loser What are you doing? It wasn't like that. I think he was like, Elijah, do you not remember what just happened? How I demonstrated my faithfulness to you? And are we not the same way? Are we not the same way? God does this amazing, incredible thing in our lives, and we totally forget it. And then we just get depressed. 
So anyway, there's a lot more that I could cover with this story, but I really want to focus on this, and I want to talk about, remember, James is a man just like us. I want to talk about the things where Elijah kind of blew it, and this is not this is not in a judgmental way. You know, a lot of times people re- read the Bible and, um, you know, get all judgmental about the people in the Old Testament. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to learn from it because we are just like them. You know, have you heard people say, oh man, stupid Eve. <laughs> I would have never done that. Really? <laughs> Pretty sure you would have. <laughs> Pretty sure we're, we're very similar to the people in the Old Testament. And that's why God is so gracious that he gives us that example. So here are some of the ways that Elijah blew it. First of all, he was not thinking clearly, right? Obviously, he wasn't thinking clearly. After he had just done this, then this woman, a single person, threatens him. Isn't that just like us? One comment from one person can just wreck us for days or months or years. This one person. So he wasn't thinking clearly. He didn't turn to God. He just got scared. He turned to his fear and he let his fear be his counselor. And the fear said, run away. She's going to kill you. Right? He wasn't thinking clearly and he wasn't relying on God. He just fled. Um, there's, there's three things that happen, I think, with any event, any uh, traumatic event. There's the event itself. And then the second thing is there's how that event makes us feel. And then the third thing is how we respond to those feelings concerning that event. And Gary Smalley, who is a psychologist, Christian psychologist, says there is a step between the event and our reaction to it. And that's how our decisions and our choices can go from normal and God-honoring to sinful, depending on what direction we take it. And so how we respond to those feelings, I mean, it can either lead to fear and discouragement and worry and sadness. Keep in mind, fear, worry, and discouragement are all, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the Bible actually says you shouldn't do those things. You should not fear. You should not worry. You should not be discouraged. And so that's between how we feel about the event and how we react to it. That's that breakdown. That's where the decision-making process takes place. And when we don't understand something, I think that is, that is the point at which it determines if we're going to go into a depression or not. You know, when something tragic happens, the loss of a child or an accident, or your house burns down, or, or some traumatic event, and we just can't see how God could possibly have allowed this to happen, or how, he could, have, how he, he could have prevented it, but he didn't. You know, I think that's what messes us up as humans, because we want to understand. We want to know why. We want to understand, God, where were you? Where are you? And I think that when we lose sight of the fact that we don't understand everything and he does, we can get messed up. We can let ourselves kind of tank emotionally. And now again, I'm not not dismissing legitimate mourning and grief because I do believe that that's healthy. 
You have to do that. But we have to understand that God is the great I am. He is in control. He is in charge. And it says when we don't understand what God is doing and or allowing, we can fall into depression. But you also have to understand that God is the one who's going to determine how long this trial or this test is going to go, how long it's going to last. We can't determine that. Okay, so the first thing that Elijah did wrong was what? He wasn't thinking clearly, okay? The second thing, he separated from those around him. He ran and isolated himself. He left his servant, the guy that was there to help him. He isolated himself. This is a really dangerous thing to do, and and I'm just now coming to terms with my own isolation and how unhealthy that can be for me at times. I think for a while after Eric died, I, I needed to have that time, but I can see how so easily... I can slip into self-pity and just thoughts of hopelessness. And, and, and yet, there are so many people around me that will pull me out and say, hey, what's, what's happening with you? People that will persist. <laughs> My friend Kaule, she will persist <laughs> whether I want it or not. <laughs> And, and you, need to, you can't separate yourself from the people that love you the most because they can speak truth to you. They can be a mirror for you. They can tell you how God views you. They can tell you these things. You don't, I think it's an unhealthy thing to just run and isolate. The enemy just has a heyday in our brains when we do that. That's where our self-talk comes in, our lies, lies from the past, demonic stuff. I just think we have to be super careful about that. Okay, the third thing. So the first thing, he wasn't thinking clearly. He didn't turn to God. He just turned to his own devices. Second, he isolated himself, separated himself. Third thing, he got caught off guard following a victory. You know, how many of you have have had some amazing, incredible event happen in your life, and then right after that, you just crashed? There are even actually physiological reasons for that. I mean, there's a, there's a surge of adrenaline, you know, that, that when that wears off, that's kind of like your adrenaline hangover. You know, it's like the thing I was saying about with the cocaine. It's like, you know, it, you go really, really high, but then you crash so hard and so bad. The same basic principle happens with adrenaline, and you go through some amazing thing just be on guard. Even in the military, they say that you ha- that after they've won a skirmish or a battle or whatever, that's when they, mo- they need to be most vigilant. That's when they're most prone to getting thwarted. Any military people in here can confirm that? You confirm that? That's what the, um, the reading that I was doing said, that that's not the time to let down your guard after a huge victory. Whatever goes up will what? Come down. So then the the last thing that he did, he allowed himself to become physically and emotionally drained. Our bodies need sleep. We actually need sleep to function. It's not negotiable. It's not an option. I know some people think it is. We have to get sleep. Our bodies need rest, and we also need a Sabbath, You know, that's in the Ten Commandments. That's one of the top ten. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's it's a principle that 
all the, all the other Ten Commandments are in effect for today. So this is not Old Covenant, okay? Every seven days, take 24 hours and rest. God provided this as a blessing for you. Sabbath rest, resting, not working. <laughs> you catching on? Don't do stuff that you don't want to do. Rest. Allow yourself to be replenished. And maybe every seven weeks, take a day or two off of work if you can. Or every seven years, you know. But every seven days, for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in ministry still if, if I didn't believe so strongly in the principle of the Sabbath. It's liter- it is one of my little soapboxes. It's, it's crucial. Um, eating healthy. What's the thing that we tend to do when we're bummed? We want what? Carbs. <laughs> Comfort food, right? We want junk food. That's what we want. But what does that do to you? Physiologically, it <clears throat> makes your, uh, what are they called? Endorphins? Boom. You get this little carb high, and then <clears throat> you crash. Our bodies have to be replenished by healthy foods. And this is just a, you know, kind of an obvious thing, but, but I think too many of us deny that there can be a link between our mood and what we're eating, the mood and the food. Um, physical stress can lead to depression, as you probably know. After my husband passed away, uh, I was under incredible physical stress. I, did, I, I tried to sleep, but for like the first three weeks, I, I could not sleep. Half of my hair fell out. It was horrible. I mean, it, was, it, it caused a lot of physical reactions, and that in itself can lead to further depression. Um, Francis Schaeffer, uh, the theologian, says, sometimes it's more spiritual to just go get a good night's sleep than, than to pray for another hour or read another chapter. Sometimes it's best to just say, you know what, my body's exhausted, it's telling me to go to bed, and just to do it. Again, I, I want to say, I want to be sensitive and just say I, I'm not an expert on this, but, but I, I feel like there are some obvious solutions. Um, I shouldn't say obvious. Some, some solutions that you can, you can attempt when you're in the middle of, of what might be a depression. Maybe it's a mild depression. Maybe it's a temporary depression. But maybe it's a severe depression. And the first thing that I want to encourage is if, if at all possible, talk about it with someone. Bring it into the light. Just say, hey, I'm really struggling right now. And I know that there are those of you who won't. You can't. You don't have the capacity to do that. And so I just want to tell, to say to those who are around that person, make sure that you're reaching out and saying, are you okay? You know? Because... Who knows what can happen? We don't know what's going on. But if, if you can tell somebody, just say, I'm really down. I'm really struggling. I'm having a really hard time. Engage. Don't isolate yourself. Engage with the people who love you and care about you and will speak life and encouragement and hope to you. Um, look for those who may be depressed around you. Reach out and, and do the same for them. Um, Sometimes, sometimes losing your life um, is the way that you can find it. Like when you're, when you're bummed and you're depressed, maybe serving someone else to get out of your own head, to get away from your own sense of, you know, 
introspection or whatever. Um, take care of your physical health. Sleep, eat healthy. And maybe if, it, if it's an ongoing thing, get help. Get some help. Go talk to a, a Christian counselor, someone who will talk to you from the word of God. Go to, a, go to a, a, someone who's skilled in this and can walk you through it. Maybe you need to get on medication, maybe temporarily. I don't know. <clears throat> and just know that life goes in seasons. <clears throat> so if you wait it out, it will come to pass, typically. I'm not saying across the board, but, but it usually will come to pass. You know that feeling when, when you're, you wake up in the middle of the night or you can't sleep and you, you're really worrying and you're anxious and, and all of a sudden... You, you end up going to sleep and you wake up in the morning and it just doesn't seem as serious. You know that feeling where God's mercies are new every morning? Great is his faithfulness. You know, these things will, will probably come to pass. But really only God determines the depth and the test and the length of our trials. But turn to him in the midst of it. He's going to provide for you. He's going to provide that meal. He's going to send those ministering angels to minister to you and to speak to you and to remind you of the goodness of God. And in some cases, um, one of the reasons that we're depressed is because we are, there's something not right about us, our actions. We're, we're holding a secret that we shouldn't be holding or we have bitterness towards someone else or we need to confront someone and go to them and 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 tell them that they've hurt us or, or whatever. If there's an action that you need to take, you know, do that to help break this thing, to help get out of it. Um, if it's a spiritual thing, fast. You know, I did a message on the blessings of fasting and how, how significant that can be. And um, last week I talked about uh, Eric was, he struggled when we first got married, he struggled with a porn addiction. And he fasted and prayed for three days, three solid days, and God delivered him, and God set him free. And there is power in fasting. Um, pray that God would show you. If there's something demonic, if there's something spiritual, ask the Holy Spirit to show you and to reveal it to you. But the most important thing is worship. There is something so significant when it says in the Bible, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's something, the Bible talks about music 879 times. That's a lot of times. There is a power that comes through music. That's why we start our services on, on Sunday mornings. That's why we start with music. Because music is so powerful. When we first moved out here, I had worship music playing constantly in my home. It was just always being played in my home. There's something so powerful. And, and don't believe the lie that says, oh, you should only worship if you feel like it. Or you should only, only worship if, you know, if everything's going right. Um, John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not in the things of this world, not in the things that we think are going to satisfy us when we're most satisfied in him. And I just want to read this passage, um, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. What? Rejoice in the Lord when everything's going well. Rejoice in the Lord if you're not depressed. 
What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your intentions be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what happens then? The peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Worshiping the Lord, drawing near to the Lord, and I'm not trying to give it a little pat answer. I'm not trying to trivialize anything, but there is power in worship. It says that when we lift up the name of God and when we worship God, the demons have to flee. The demonic is broken. That power is broken.